Hello and welcome to this week's podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This time for the Business Week ended 3rd June 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This time, GSK boosts vaccine presence via M&A, US PBM formulary exclusions on the rise, ASCO data portend battle for bispecifics in lymphoma, mixed ASCO data for cabometics combos, and Junchi's oral COVID-19 antiviral shows promise, although questions remain. GlaxoSmithKline is to acquire US vaccine company Affinivax for $2.1 billion upfront and $1.2 billion in potential development milestones to obtain a promising new vaccine technology and a next-generation pneumococcal vaccine candidate. GSK is hoping Affinivax's lead candidate, AFX3772, could eventually mount a challenge to Pfizer's blockbuster Prevnar franchise, Andrew McConaughey writes. Pfizer has been dominant in the pneumococcal vaccine market for years, and last year its Prevnar products earned $5.72 billion in global revenues. If AFX3772 eventually reaches the market, it would sit alongside GSK's existing vaccines franchise, which includes the blockbuster shingles vaccine Shingrix, and bolster its position as one of the world's leading vaccine companies. But that reputation has been eroded by its failure to compete quickly in COVID-19, where the market has been dominated by the mRNA-based vaccines. Affinivax's Phase 3-ready AFX3772 covers four more serotypes than Pfizer's Prevnar 20, which was launched last year in the US and approved as Apexnar in the EU in February. Higher coverage of different serotypes is important in protecting against pneumococcal infection, and the number of serotypes in current vaccines is currently limited due to immunological interference, which occurs in existing conjugation technologies. Affinivax's platform technology addresses this technical challenge, and Affinivax also has a 30-plus valent pneumococcal candidate vaccine in preclinical development. The proposed acquisition further strengthens our vaccine's R&D pipeline, provides access to a new, potentially disruptive technology, and broadens GSK's existing scientific footprint in the Boston area, said Hal Barron, CSO and President of R&D at GSK. Analysts were also positive about the deal. A trend of large pharmacy benefit managers in the US restricting access to drugs by excluding them from formularies has grown, according to a new report by Amerisource Bergen Corporation and Nexander that the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America underwrote. With increasing numbers of single-source drugs, biosimilar and authorised generic insulins and cancer medicines excluded from coverage. Joseph Haas writes in the infographic article that the report, issued on 25th May, reveals that the three largest US PBMs, CVS Caremark, Cigna Corp's Express Scripts and United Health Group's Optum Rx, exclude a total of 1,156 medications from their standard formularies in 2022, up 29% from 2021. Those three providers handled an estimated 80% of US drug prescriptions in 2021, according to the report, meaning their coverage decisions can significantly affect access and out-of-pocket cost of care. PBM practice of drug exclusions from formularies began in 2011. Since Extender began covering drug exclusions by CVS Caremark and Express Scripts in 2014, with Optum RX adopting the practice in 2016, 
The total number of excluded drugs has increased by 1,183%, using a methodology that avoids double counting of any one product. To be considered excluded, a product must be excluded from formulary for at least one year by one of the three major PBMs. Because each PBM excludes different medicines from their formularies, and different health plans contract with different PBMs, patients who change jobs or health plans may find they no longer have their current medicines covered, the report notes. As PBM exclusions of medicines for chronic conditions such as cancer, autoimmune disease and HIV have risen, resulting access and therapeutic compliance issues have raised serious concerns about quality of care, it adds. The trend is one that has been growing in recent years, and puts more pressure on drug manufacturers to negotiate big rebates off of list prices to secure formulary access, contributing to the widening delta between list and net prices, at least from the pharma industry's perspective. Insurers see the tactic as a way to manage costs and secure bigger rebates for drugs. New data released ahead of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, or ASCO, meeting confirm Roche's strong position in a new class of B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma therapies. It also makes it clear the Swiss firm faces tough competition from rivals Genmab and Abvi. Andrew McConaughey writes that Roche has two CD3 times CD20 bispecific antibody candidates in late-stage development for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mozonetazumab and Glofitamab, both already under review by the European Medicines Agency. The company unveiled abstract data ahead of ASCO, which runs from 4th to 8th of June, providing an update on glofitamab in its pivotal Phase 1-2 study in patients with relapsed or refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma who had received a median of three prior therapies, including around one-third who had received a CAR-T therapy. After a median follow-up of 12.6 months, 39.4% of patients achieved a complete response, the study's primary efficacy endpoint, and 51.6% achieved an overall response as assessed by an independent review committee. This looks like a compelling data set in a group of patients who have very few options left and should help the drug secure swift EU and US regulatory approvals. However, Roche has some real competition on its hands in the shape of Genmab AbbVie's rival Epcoritamab, and the company has released in April the top-line data from the Phase 1-2 Epcor NHL1 study, of their CD3 times CD20 bispecific in a similar population. This showed a 63.1% ORR, 12% higher than seen in its rival study, while CRS events reached 49.7%, more than 13% lower than with Roche's drug. That clinical efficacy edge would also be supplemented with the extra convenience of the drug's subcutaneous administration, although Roche is looking to switch from intravenous delivery to this approach in the near future for its product. Sticking with ASCO, Exelixis will present updated results from a combination trial it is conducting with Roche in solid tumours and will also outline data from a small investigator-initiated study of its tyrosine kinase inhibitor Cabometics with Mokenko's Keytruda in recurrent metastatic head and neck squamous cell carcinoma. Joseph Haas writes that Cosmic O21, a 914-patient Phase 1b Masket study, is testing Cabometics monotherapy as well as combination therapy with Roche's anti-PD-L1 agent Ccentric across 23 cohorts in multiple solid tumour types. 
According to abstracts released on 26th May, the update from Cosmic 021 will show a lower response rate for Cavimetics and T-Centric in second or third line NSCLC compared to a readout from the same study presented at ASCO 2020. Cavimetics obtained US FDA approval in April 2016 for renal cell carcinoma, although it had previously been approved under the brand name Cometric for medullary thyroid cancer. Development of a Cavimetics T-centric combo in first-line liver cancer was halted following a failed phase 3 study in March. In NSCLC, Cosmic 021 Cohort 7 patients receiving Cavimetics plus T-centric showed a 19% response rate, 4.5 months median progression-free survival, and 13.8 months median overall survival. Those data fell short of the 2020 readout for the combo, which showed a 27% response rate. In three arms, testing the Exelixis-Roche combo inoperable locally advanced or metastatic urothelial carcinoma, the data appeared non-competitive against currently available therapies such as Estelis' antibody drug conjugate PADCEF, William Blair analyst Andy Sierre asserted. The combo yielded a 20% response rate, median PFS of 5.6 months and median OS of 14.3 months, in frontline cisplatin-ineligible patients. Potentially more promising than either of those datasets are results from a 36-patient investigator-initiated study combining cavimetics with Keytruda in recurrent metastatic head and neck squamous cell carcinoma. This met its primary endpoint of objective response rate at 54% exelixis reported. The trial showed an overall clinical benefit rate of 91%, with a one-year PFS rate of 54%, median PFS of 14.6 months, one-year overall survival rate of 68.4%, and median OS of 22.3 months. Finally, mounting concerns over protocol changes and trial design have shrouded Shanghai Junqi Biosciences' claim of superiority for its oral COVID-19 antiviral VV116 over Pfizer's Paxlovid. On 25th May, the Hong Kong and Shanghai-listed Chinese biotech reported positive outcomes from a Phase 3 registrational head-to-head study versus Paxlovid in China for the early treatment of mild to moderate COVID-19. The trial was conducted in patients at high risk of progression to severe disease, including death. Dexter Yan writes that the announcement came only three months after Paxlovid was authorised in China for conditional emergency use for the treatment of mild to moderate disease in adults. VV116 is an oral derivative of the RNA-dependent RNA polymerase inhibitor remdesivir, originally developed by Gilead Sciences and marketed as Vicluri in injection form. VV116 was originally developed by Chinese firm Vigon Vita Life Sciences and Junxi gained rights in October 2021 for territories worldwide excluding Central Asia Russia, North Africa and the Middle East. The 822-patient study reached its pre-specified primary endpoint and secondary efficacy endpoint, Junji said, adding that the results showed that VV116 provided patients with a shorter median time to sustained clinical recovery up to day 28 versus Paxlovid and achieving statistical superiority. However, the Chinese firm relegated the other primary endpoint in the original study protocol which was percentage of subjects progressing to severe or critical COVID-19 or all-cause death as of day 28, to one of these secondary endpoints, 
raising concerns among investors. With all the enrolment having taken place in Shanghai during a spike in new cases of the Omicron variant, we expect in both arms of the trial the rate of disease progression or death will be quite low, making it practically impossible to make a conclusion of non-inferiority in a finite sample size, cautioned Credit Suisse analysts in a 25th May research note, quoting what Junxi had shared with the brokerage. The Shanghai-based BioVenture noted that Paxlovid's EPIC HR trial enrolled only patients without immunisation against COVID-19, while VV116's head-to-head trial enrolled vaccinated patients. Though we believe changing primary endpoint in a running phase 3 trial is not a good practice, we still believe it makes sense to change one of the co-primary endpoints of disease progression or death to a secondary endpoint, which also avoids wasting alpha, the company explained, as quoted by the Credit Suisse note. The biotech's surprise manoeuvre seems to have paid off as it revealed in its press release that no COVID-19 disease progression or deaths were reported in the VV116 or Paxlovid arm in the head-to-head study. Besides Junxi, an increasing number of Chinese biotechs are also developing potential Paxlovid rivals. Hong Kong-listed Simsia Pharmaceutical recently started a Phase 1 study with SIM0417, which is China's first homegrown clinical-stage oral 3CL protease inhibitor, being co-developed with the Shanghai Institute of Materia Medica. Guangdong Brain Event Biotech announced on 23rd May it had enrolled the first patient in a placebo-controlled Phase 1 trial for its 3CL protease inhibitor RAY1216. Meanwhile, Hong Kong-listed Ask Lettuce Pharma is expected to file a China IND for its candidate ASC11 in the second half of 2022. That's all for this time. Many thanks for listening, and be sure to check out the article accompanying this podcast which has links to all these stories in full. Log in to Script to access all of our much more extensive global content or take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.